thing that um, is part of my value system is always to try to get better. And then if you noticed, you know, from the time we started streaming, we've been adding new equipment. We've been adding new software. And when this happened, and when you do that, in order to get better, you do have problems. You do have setbacks. And that's just the cost of trying to get better. And so I thank you for our team that was scrambling to try to get better. But in the end, in the end, our services... I think are going to be more glorifying to God, and that's what we uh, do. And that's you know one of the things I've always encouraged our people, whether it's in worship, whether it's in any of our ministries. I want you to make mistakes because it shows me that if you're making mistakes, you're willing to get out of your comfort zone to try something new in order to make your ministries more effective. And to do that. Mistakes are going to happen. Yes, we're going to learn from our mistakes. But in the end, I think it makes us a more effective body of Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for your patience with us. And that's just the cost that we pay for trying to become better. Um, you know, last week we talked about, I talked about being the salt and light of the world. That as salt, you know, we as believers are supposed to be the preserving agents in our culture. To preserve the uh, decay and of uh, sin that creeps into our culture. To prevent um, the increase of, let's say, hate and anger and so forth, and that we are to be a light of the world, that we are to take Jesus' teaching and to obey Jesus' teaching and to have his light reflect on us to the rest of the um, our country. And that's what we are talking about, that is your sphere of influence, meaning are your families, are there, is your workplace, are, are, are the organizations that you are a part of and volunteer with, are they becoming more or less like the kingdom of God because you're there? You know, and after I preached this, you know, I just became, you know, so overwhelmed to the point, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, this week is, I, I, I couldn't watch the news anymore. It be, just came so weary for me to watch the news. Day after day, of, day after day, hearing the same thing. All of these negative comments, all of the anger and the frustration. And I get that, you know, it's stemming from a systemic problem. But it was at a point where I, I said, I can't watch this. So I started watching NHK News. And for those of you who don't know what NHK News is, I was watching the English version of Japanese news. And so, yes, they had a little segment of what was going on in America, but I'd rather listen to what's going on in the rest of the world than to always being bombarded by what's going on here. Because I was just telling you, I, I really was getting overwhelmed to the point where I, I just, I can't watch this anymore. And I was thinking, how do we legislate people's personal feelings and values? How does legislation or organizational reforms change people's feelings about superiority or entitlement or this me-first attitude that's pervading, uh, pervasive in our country today? How do politicians change people's ability to love people because they are created in the image of God? 
like I've always said, we need to pray for our leaders because we are instructed to by the Bible that they would be able to hear the wisdom from God. But it's only through a transformed heart by Jesus that could change our culture. And this is why, as we look at these things, I hope that you are being more and more convinced that Jesus is the only hope uh, for this world. And as I was looking at this, I said, God, man, this is a tall order. I, I know nothing with you is impossible, but, but, you know, where do we even start? And I was thinking, well, you know what? As overwhelmed as I was, I realized that at least I have to try. And it's daunting when you take a look at it from the a view of a total cultural change. You know, and you look at it, well, how do I change our entire culture? But it becomes less daunting when you look at it from an individual standpoint by changing one person at a time. And it makes it more manageable. And today, I hope that we leave uh, with hope, knowing that God can use anyone to make their communities, their uh, families, or, or that's the individuals around them reflect more and more of the kingdom of God, one person at a time. And as I looked at it, as I changed my perspective, I said, you know, God, I could do that. You know, I'm not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> I can't bring around national change. But you know what? What if one person from Mission Valley rose and was a part of national change? You know, that'd be good enough for me. One person at a time. And God could use any of us. For all of you who are watching, God could use you to raise up the next person who might be able to change this world. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Acts 4? And we're going to continue on our journey through the book of Acts. Because so much of it, I think, is relevant to what we're going through today. And let's start with verse 1. It says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Sadducees were one part of the religious leaders at that time. And actually, they were probably the most influential, even though they were the minority, they were the most influential of the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders at that time. And um, they were the materialistic rationalists of the day. You know, they represented the um, top echelon of society. However, they denied the supernatural. They didn't believe in the supernatural they denied evil spirits. They didn't believe in angels. And above all, they denied the resurrection, which Peter and John were 
preaching boldly. They, they did not believe in the resurrection. In fact, to the Sadducees, the Messiah or this concept of the Messiah was just an ideal. It wasn't something that was going to actually happen. It was more an ideal for people to look forward to and more metaphorical than actual. And that the Messianic age was just a process, but it wasn't a reality. They were the educated. They, you know, they all had their, you know, their masters of divinity. They all had the doctors of ministry, their masters of theology, the PhDs. They were highly educated people. And they were the wealthy elite of their time. But they were also unprincipled politicians who would sell their own mother to stay in power. Though they were a majority, they controlled the Jewish political and religious life. And these guys, they were control freaks. And they didn't want anybody rocking their boat. They enjoyed their status of privilege. They enjoyed the lifestyle of wealth that their positions afforded them. And they didn't want anybody changing that. They didn't want anybody rocking their boat. And any Jewish movement against Rome would threaten their standing with Rome and their own lifestyle. And this is why they were, one of the reasons they were so upset with um, Peter and John. And then in verse 3, it says, they seized, because they were so angry, this is, they seized Peter and John, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men believed grew to about three, 5,000. Remember earlier when Peter gave his first evangelistic message, it said 3,000 people came to know the Lord and were baptized. Now that number was going to 5,000. And these Sadducees are saying, oh, we've got to stop this movement because they are preaching the resurrection. They are preaching that Jesus is Lord. And we know, and, and for us to maintain our standard, they have to be able to also believe that Caesar is Lord too. But Peter and John, that's not the gospel that they were preaching. And so they started to see this movement threaten the Roman political system. And see, for the Sadducees, what was good for Rome was good for them. What was bad for Rome was bad for them. And these people who are oppressed people were hearing the gospel message that just God loved them. That it didn't matter how much you had. You know that eternal life, salvation was available to all and not just the elite not just those who are educated. And it was giving people hope. And they were seeing the way it was changing people's lives. They were taking care of each other. They were loving one another in a way that they were longing to be cared for and loved under this oppressive system of Rome. And it start, this ground swelling started to grow and threatening the Sadducees. And it says, verse 5, The next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought to them and began to question them 
by what power or what name do you do this? And basically they were asking, well, who are you? Who gave you the authority to give this message of false hope to the people? Really what they were saying is, who gave you the right or the authority to mess up our way of life? Because that's what your message is doing. And this comes us to the uh, first point. The authority we have to say that Jesus is the only hope for this world comes from God himself. Did you know that each one of you have been given the authority from God to preach the gospel message? And it is with his authority that backs all of our words that we say. And it was backing the words of Peter and John. And it says um, in verse 8, it says, Peter, and then guess this, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for the act of kindness showed to the man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Now remember once again that um, Peter and John were being called into question because not only were they preaching, but they healed this man who has been lame for 40 years. And people saw that, were amazed by this, and started following them. And he goes on to say, um, off, it says, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone or the foundation of this movement. It's Jesus, the one that you killed. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which by which we must be saved. These guys are calling them out. They say, well, by what authority are you doing all of this? And they just point their fingers right back at the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the religious elite. And they said, it is by the authority of Jesus Christ, the one you crucified, the one that you rejected, the one that is now the foundation of the church, that that is a person who gave us um, his, our authority. Thank you very much. Sorry, I have post-nasal drip, and it's starting to bother me. Turn with me to Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Then Jesus said to them, meaning the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I love this when Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I am taking this authority that has been given to me and I am giving it to you. And go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, this is by my authority that I'm telling you to send this gospel, to go out and say the gospel message. 
and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We've been saying that Jesus Christ is the only hope for this world. And a lot of people might say, well, you know what? You know, who gives you the right to say that Jesus is the only hope for this world? There are a lot of different ways that this world could be a better place. What makes you think that Jesus is the only hope? Well, we believe that because that we say this in the authority of God from God's word. We say this in the authority that Jesus has given us to say that that message. So we should not be afraid. We should not be ashamed when we say that Jesus is the only hope for this world because our authority does not come from ourselves. Our authority comes from God himself. And this is what Peter and John were trying to tell the religious leaders. And that still, that still is in play today. That for us to proclaim that Jesus is the only hope for our nation, that authority and that truth comes from God himself. Second point, you don't need a PhD to change the world. You don't need a PhD to change the world. And then when, let's go to verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wow. And these guys are saying, whoa, here these guys are challenging us. Here these guys are speaking with authority and power. Hey, these guys are unschooled. They weren't educated. Where did this come from? Where did this come from? Even they noticed that there was something different about these men. Because they were saying, wait a second, these guys are just fishermen. What do they know about religion? But it's through the Holy Spirit. You got to remember that the Sadducees were the most educated of all of the um, Jewish religious leaders. And they were shocked and amazed that these two men, these two disciples, could speak with so much authority and the truth that was piercing their hearts. Because number one, it was the word of God. And they didn't realize that it wasn't the apostles. They didn't realize that it was through the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to them the truth. And that the truth was changing them. That was making their hearts, and it was piercing their hearts and their minds. So they were confused. It was the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians one twenty six, It says, Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. One thing I love about Scripture is if you look at it over and over and over again, 
in Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see God using ordinary people to accomplish his will. You know, if you look at the beginnings of the, our Bible heroes, most of them had no credentials. That would lead you to believe that, hey, these people are destined for greatness. These people are going to be the ones that thousands and thousands and thousands of years from now, people will be talking about them. Most of them came from humble beginnings. See, none of them strive for greatness. None of them said, you know what, I want to be great. Man, I want to be remembered for thousands and thousands of years. None of them started out that way. It just happened because they were willing to be vessels of God's power. God could use anybody. You don't have to have a master's of divinity in order to reach people for Christ. You don't have to have a demon. Now, when I say demon, that's kind of a weird term. But demon actually is doctor of ministry. (laughs) You don't have to have a doctor of ministry to transform people's hearts so they can transform the nation. And why does God do this? He does this that if someone is going to boast, they got to boast in God. They got to take the glory that people give them and what? Reflect that back up to God. Because people should be saying, there's no way Dave could be doing this. I remember Dave when he was a kid. He was just so quiet. He didn't speak with to anybody. He was so shy. He was scared of people. The guy used to stutter. I remember Dave when he was younger. He had to pull him out in you know from our classes so he go to speech therapy every you know twice a week because there he couldn't pronounce certain words. How could he be a preacher? You know back then. I guarantee you no one thought I'd be a preacher. I mean, I couldn't even give an oral report, let alone stand before you and give a sermon. Shows that God could use anybody. He could use a little kid who was taken out of his school uh, classroom twice a week to go to speech, speech therapy, to speak, to be his mouthpiece. You know, I don't have a lot of education or experience in what I do. And one of the programs that I did um, early on in my, um, you know, ministry was to be a part of uh, this program called The Wonder of Reading. And that's where I met uh, Joy Garcia because she was a teacher at the school that I would volunteer. And basically the program was just to help people, or kids rather, who struggled with reading to give him the awe of reading and how much they could learn and open their minds if they could just read. And and so I started, I I had no experience whatsoever in teaching. You know, I didn't know how to improve somebody's reading, but I just went. And I remember the first goal I got, I said, so where is she on the scale? Because they have, you know, exceptional needs improvement, you know, and so forth. And they said, she's not on the scale. I go, what do you mean she's not on the scale? They said, well, she's so bad that 
there is no scale. And I was just saying, great. What? Hey, I don't have a teaching credential. But, you know, I had a love in my heart that says, you know what? what? God, you could use me. So I went and I worked with this person. And over the course of, you know, the years I was working with her, the goal was to get her to average. And I was able to get, no, I shouldn't say A. God was able to get her to average. God used me. The second person I remember working with is I was at this school, and I was just looking at these kids. And, you know, these kids are good kids. I saw them running, playing, and laughing. And I, I said, God, what turns them from being these lovable, kind, caring kids into these monsters that become part of gangs and do horrible things to people? What happens? And so I started working with this one boy. And my prayer was, God, at least allow me to give this person a chance so he doesn't join a gang. You know, I may not be able to change the world, but just this one person. And as I started reading with this one person, I started noticing certain tendencies. We would read one sentence, and I said, could read it again? And this person um, this boy would read, and he'd forget the word. And I said, no, no, we, we just read the word. It's this. And so I said, try it again. And he would do it, and he'd he he'd be getting wrong. And he was really trying. And so, you know, after some time working with him, I said, okay, I'm not an educator, but there's something not right here. So I was talking to um, the teachers. I said, could at least you, you know, test him? And they found out that he was dyslexic. And that's what was causing this. Now, you know, teachers, they have a hard enough job. They, they, their classes are overloaded. So it's not, I'm not saying anything against teachers. But it was only through because I could give him a lot of time and notice this one-on-one that, okay, something wasn't right. And so from then on, they were able to get him the tools he needed in order to improve his reading, which I couldn't do. They had to do that. But once again, one person at a time. You know, I I didn't have credentials as a teacher. I just had a heart to say, God, I just want to be used. Use me and, you know, I'll just do whatever I can. God could do the same thing with you. You don't need credentials in order to serve God. You don't need a credential to make a difference in the world. All you have to do is having a willing heart. When God asks you to do something, when God places something on your heart that he wants you to do, all you have to do is reply with one word, and that's yes. Yes. And if you could do that, God could use you. Acts 14. It says 4.14. But since they could see this man had been healed standing there with them, there's nothing that they could say. So when they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. 
Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And this is my last point. In order to experience the we experience the power of God before selling the power of God. Before we sell the power of God, we need to experience the power of God. And this is what Peter replied in uh, verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. He said, look, you guys are telling us not to speak in the name of Jesus. And who do you think we should listen to, God or you? We're going to listen to God. But he said, we cannot help but to speak about what we heard, which was from Jesus, but also what we've seen, what we've experienced through the power of God. We can't stop saying that. And I think the problem that many of us have, and I have this, is we're speaking things that maybe we heard of, that we're living uh, through the lives vicariously through the lives of people in the Bible. We live our lives vicariously through, um, you know, the people we think see doing wonderful things that in the, you know, for their faith. But we don't see what God is doing through us. And maybe because our value system is skewed. See, the Pharisees, uh, Sadducees didn't get it. Because their value system was just out of whack. You know, their value system was not about the spiritual condition of the people. Their value system, that which made them do what they do, that which drove them was to maintain their social status. To make sure they had the material things that they had in order to lead a comf- live a comfortable life. That was their compass. Therefore, the thing that they should have known, that Jesus was the Messiah, all the things that they didn't believe in, they should have known. But their moral compass was not pointing in the right direction. And in order for us to sell God's power, Our compass, our value system has to be pointed to God. That that which drives us has to be to make this place more like God's kingdom every single day and not, I want to make my kingdom um, wealthier. I want to make my kingdom more comfortable. I want to make my kingdom more fun. And I think some of us, that might drive us. And if Jesus is going to be the only hope of this world, he could only do that with people who are kingdom-focused. His kingdom-focused. And that's my challenge to all of us today. Are we more like the Sadducees? where it's all about us living a comfortable life. 
It's about us attaining these things so not only we and our children could have comfortable lives. Or is it about us having the authority that comes from Jesus himself to go out and make disciples of all nations, right? In order that one person at a time, we could lead them to Jesus, to have Jesus transform their lives so they could go out and do the same thing. And that one person at a time, one person at a time, makes a difference. It's kind of like the story of the starfish. And I know, Chet Yoshizaki, you're going to like this because you're the one who told us about this. And I think that a lot of you heard this story, but it's about this one, you know, beach where I think it probably was after a storm. And on the beach, there were just thousands and thousands of starfish. And this, you know, woman was walking along and she saw this boy, you know, taking the starfish and just throwing them back into the ocean where they could be in salt water. And she goes up to this little boy and says, what are you doing? And she goes, well, I'm trying to save these starfishes because, you know, they're not in the ocean. And she looks around and she goes, there's thousands and thousands of them, you know, on this beach. What difference can you make? And he picks one up. He throws it back into the ocean. And he said, well, I made a difference for that one. That's how it starts. Each one of us. yes. We may not be the um, national game changers, right? But one person at a time, we could all do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. If, if our goal in life, if that which drives us is to expand God's kingdom. So what's our weekly challenge? Could you turn with me to our weekly challenge? Okay, I'd like us to read Matthew Whoops, not Matthew Acts. Um, it should be Luke Acts, really. Oh, no, read Acts 4, 1 to 22, and 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31 every single day. And ask God to reveal to you a specific task he wants you to do this week. Okay? I want you to ask God to um, reveal to you a specific task He wants you to do this week. And do it. Just do it. See, that's how we experience. That's how we um, preach what we've heard and we've seen. Is when we obey the calling of God. When we say yes to the Holy Spirit. And no to our natural desires. Let's pray. Worship team, could you please come forward? Gracious Heavenly Father, you know, I come to you with a history of being just like the Sadducees. Or, Father, that my goal's life was trying to make my kingdom more wealthy, was to try to make my kingdom more comfortable was to try to make my kingdom more fun with leisure activities when I forgot that my sole purpose in life was to make this world more like your kingdom.
And Father, this is what the world needs more than ever right now. We've seen the effects of people on our leaders trying to do it their way, to try to use methods that seemed right in their own hearts and out of good intentions. But over hundreds of years, hasn't changed a whole lot. And yet we've seen, Father, what you could do through 11 men who followed you, who didn't have the credentials, who didn't have the experience. But Father, through the work and power of your Holy Spirit, they changed the entire world. And we are still talking about them thousands and thousands of years later. Father, I pray that all of us who call ourselves disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, will come to realize that this is the only way that things are going to change. That God uses ordinary people through the power of his Holy Spirit to change the culture of an oppressive government like the Roman Empire and then to go out and change the world. So as you sit here right now, I just want you to think about your priorities. What are your priorities? Do they need tweaking? Do you need to reorient them in order to be a vessel where Jesus could use you as the only hope of this world? I just want you to take a few moments to think about that right now. And I'd like you to take a few moments to say yes to God. To confess the time when you were about building your own kingdom rather than his. And from this day forward, to be a part of the change, to be a part of the solution that could only come through transformed hearts changed by Jesus Christ himself. But that transformed heart has to start with you. Will you say yes to furthering God's kingdom and to say no to furthering and expanding your own? Gracious Heavenly Father, we know what's going on in this world, and we believe that you are the only hope for this world. And Father, today we come to you as your body to say yes, to say yes, we want to be a part of that change. Even though we may not have the talent to maybe change our culture as a whole, 
we could start with one person at a time. And who knows, maybe that one person may be the one to make great strides in changing this world for you. But Father, today, we say yes to you. We say yes, that we are going to go out in your authority, that you, that your son Jesus is the only hope for this world, and not to be apologetic for that. But Father, we need to back those words up with the way we live our lives. So give us the courage and give us the opportunities in order to live this out in our lives. So we could say that we have heard and we've seen and that we cannot stop preaching about that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.